Hey, you guys enjoy this as much as I am. <laughs> hey, thanks for coming out. Uh, I have to tell you, I, I'm humbled to be sharing the stage with these great writers and colleagues that I love very much and are awesome, as you can tell. Um, I am not going to give you a lot of uh, narrative between the poems, because I don't write confessional or autobiographical. I just write weird. <laughs> <laughs> all right, it's all autobiography. <laughs> uh, when I come to events like this where I know there's more than one person reading, I always expect it to be a poetry slam, you know what I mean? Like an epic rap battle. Is that what you came for tonight? <laughs> well, uh, obviously it's not because we're all very you know, nice people and we like each other. But I thought I would start with a poem about that. It's called Poetry Fight. <laughs> <clears throat> I spit a pantoon at Paula, and she wiped it off her haiku with a hanky woven of nonsense before she swiveled her jaw and boomeranged a brave blank verse my way, blinding me because I didn't see it rhyming. Then Jenny generated a rondelle with, with which she roundhoused Rich, and he doubled over with a dactyl sticking out from his broken back like a bone that didn't belong. And Rachel came to his rescue, flicking her furious feet until she enjammed Jenny in the throat. <laughs> she floundered and fell backward down the steps, stair after stair, choking in prayer, till she squashed a quatrain at the landing. Her last words dribbled from her lips in an ugly line of spittle and broken lettering. We clapped as more blood spilled than we dared measure. She'd won in death, the ultimate seizure. <laughs> the Vintage of Skin. I follow my post on Twitter. <laughs> our body's a bottle of blood just like wine, but our flesh is all cork and could pop any time. <laughs> follow me at Mike Arts. <laughs> uh, this poem was recently placed in a uh, journal called Oddville Press, which Sarah Tanlinger is actually an editor for, but I'm sure she judged the board. Uh, this is called The Grim Shopper. That scary skeleton getup isn't fooling a soul, Grimmy. Despite that swinging side between your legs, I can tell you are all woman in those hidden curves that shimmy as you walk, and there is a lovely gleam in the sultry shadows of your hood. Your robe is such a dusty funeral dress, and those sandals are yesterday's news. You clearly need someone like me to seriously make you over. So let's go shopping, Ms. Death, and we'll build up your wardrobe so you can dress the part in leather or lace once in a while. No need to fool us with fear. Tart it up! I assure you that more souls will come to you, eager to bear their necks to your blade. Let's sharpen that long fingernail while we're at it, shall we? Go glossy red with the blood. Come on, let me be your guide to those shopping mall dummies who have no life anyway. You think fashion serves no purpose in the world of the dead? Every coffined body begs to differ. They die in their Sunday best like flesh needs another flesh of fabric to preserve it. But not mine. I'll gladly hold your outfit while you try things on, unless you want to help me pick out something to die for. 
How I met my damned muse. It's not a he or a she, a him or a me. It's something I spotted when I turned away from my bathroom mirror. Pink in my peripheral vision was a wet tongue sticking out at me, slickering like Linda Blair's out the lips of some moony white face. But when I turned, all I saw were toothpaste stains in the plaque of the past. No, my muse is not me, nor is it a person. It is something slippery, demonically devoid of identity. It has no name, for it is the part of me that knows my own name is a lie, that all words are substitutes, that muses are really indentured to their creators. And I'm no slave owner making bank on their backs in some literary economy of cruelty. No, my muse is more like death. It is the thing that reminds me how impotent and meaningless I am and why I must write and be someone else's muse, someone else's willing slave, while I still breathe poems into the fog rolling against my filthy bathroom mirror. It's not autobiography. <laughs> <coughs> Floater. This is a new poem. It's very short. As the astronaut floats, his umbilicus waggling from his belly, he reaches out his arms as if trying to feel the walls of the womb, squinting through his spider-webbing visor to try to find the fabric of cells, the gritty particulates that might make the blackness black. That's as science fiction as I get. Uh, this one says, uh, paranormal romances, I guess. <laughs> um, it's called, <laughs> I'm laughing at my own words. It's called Unloving Your Demon. <clears throat> to calm the beast, manipulate the tuft of unnaturally soft fur in the velvety black groin between the horns until his dangerous spikes soften in their fleshy ossicones. Then, Continue to stroke the hefty but unerect protuberances, and while it will be difficult to resist the lure of his love while you kiss his black lips and explore the hot darkness and taboo flavors of his evil mouth, you must remain focused. Grab an antler in each hand and twist them off in one swift breaking of the bread motion. It will devastate him in agony, and he may snap and bite for a while like a cornered jackal. But on the other side of his pain, you will find your lover restored, dispossessed of his lust, and cowed in his admiration, pleased by the liberation of his burden for long enough to obey you. And while it is true that eventually the horns will regenerate and flute out above his head in strangely twisted directions, darting the air as if to stab the world with his head-borne scimitars, pay no heed. He cannot deny your caress, and your patience will outlast his lust with your steely determination. And soon, your collection of horns will grow, the passing of time allowing you to harvest enough ivory lumber to complete his bony prison cage, in which he will be nothing more than a trapped animal. 
You are then free to leave his plane, and he will remain behind, twisting uncomfortably in his lonely cage as the horns on his head grow on and on year after year, arcing around the space of his cell until one day he awakens to find they've impaled him. This one is a happy Easter poem. It's called Overstocked Peeps. <laughs> you know what peeps are, right? <laughs> Easter ended. The marshmallows were no longer marshy and not nearly mellow enough to sell. Thousands of little animals, stiff and plastic. I took the whole pallet behind my, uh, behind my outlet store and burned my peeps in a funeral pyre of melting chicks and bunnies. Their eyes popped, and the hundreds of bodies writhed, browning together into a gore of s'mores, and for a moment looking like a large, many-headed beast sparking into sugary life in the angry bonfire. I forgot all about it until the following Easter's resurrection. <laughs> that was weird. Am <laughs> I going over time? Am I going all right on time? I'll do a couple more. You're great. Two more. Two more? I'm sure some of you have to go potty. Uh, yeah. uh, this is one for the literature majors, I guess. I like to read it sometimes. Uh, it's called Because I Would Not Stop for Death. You'll get it if you know. Bye, Zai. Because I would not stop for death, he grimly chopped at me. He swung his scythe below my eyes so scatologically. And then he drove in nine-inch nails. I had to look away. My coffin and my ribcage, too. Oh, what sick carpentry. He stabbed his blade into my splay. I died and died again. He stabbed my blazing pain. Brain. He stabbed unslain remains. Or rather, they stabbed him. My organs, cut and quivering, crept inside his harvest gown and broke the bones it hid. He stopped after my horrid scream, refused to halt its sound. It proved to him I was undead, to earth forever bound. Since then, tis centuries, yet each feels shorter than the time I first surmised the other heads near where he buried mine. <laughs> Since I'm writing, this is a Halloween poem, I guess. <laughs> Aren't they all? <laughs> um, Zombiefication. Zombie crawled right, zombie crawled left. Both shared the singular body I'd cleft. I chopped down his chest and cut off his screen, but still he came at me, splitting his scene. He pulled himself toward me in reanimation, one arm for each half, toward opposite location. A zombie crawled left, a zombie crawled right. Both sides of my brain, they would eat to unite. I dropped my machete and pulled out my gun. I had to be ready to shoot either one. And he got off me near me on the floor of the crypt, but then lost all his traction when his torso was ripped. A zombie crawled here, a zombie crawled there. Without one another, they just clutched at the air. I could have just left then, let Yang to chase Yin, but I wasted two bullets on the Siamese twin. 
Dr. Seuss poetry. <laughs> I can do it. You can do it. I'm just going to read this because it's next. I don't want it to be my last one, though. It's called Satan is a Cat. <laughs> it's unpublished. <laughs> Satan is a cat! It's not just his furry goatee that makes him so scary. His whiskers are made of other people's pets. The dry cat gut of their little lambs. And his teeth are sharpened on the bones of so many house guests and other feral friends. And his ears are razor point radars twisting to silently listen to the gurgling sound your blood makes when he nuzzles a cold nose against your pulsing veins. And his darkly satisfied purring is a backwards cat talk prayer he makes when he grinds your soul to kibble and bits. A flavor he will lovingly adorn himself with when he licks his black coat clean of the sin he was spawned to punish. I'm a cat person. Don't take that one. Uh, I did want to read one or two out of the booklet, and then I'll end your misery. I like the cat ears one. Read that next. Where is it? Oh no. I can't read you that one. Yes, you can. Thank you, Dante, I will. <laughs> First, I'll do cleaning out her ears. This is in those cool books you all should have gotten a free copy of. If you didn't, make sure you grab one before you leave. And I would get everybody to sign it, because these are famous people up here. <laughs> cleaning out her ears. Convincing a person of the truth is sometimes like giving a cat eardrops when it is full of crud and mites. You have to kind of cradle them in a cute backwards cuddle that exposes their fuzzy belly while also sitting on their hind legs like a wrestler so they can't scratch and scrabble away. You clench them between your thighs and while you seduce them with your petting, cup their dangerous little chin to force their stony head to turn to one side as their eyes dilate and look away, sensing your sadistic turn, as if this is potentially a strangulation murder. <laughs> You'll have to give up on all reassurances at that point as you freeze them in that awkward pose and nervously try to withdraw the dropper from the little brown bottle by your side on the floor. You suck in the ugly liquid that promises to kill all the mites and carefully drip the necessary solution into Kitty's alerted, hairy, flickering tuft that's madly trying to triangulate the sound of your torment. Keep holding the fragile cat tight like you're choking a gator into submission, doing your best to stop the angry head from shaking no, 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 and avoiding contact with its accusatory eyes as you flood the earlobe like a radiator fluid into a funnel until the soaking radar of her ear stiffens harder than any taxidermy you've ever touched. And something deep inside its skull dully clicks like you're hearing all the mites inside pop and die, and a look of pained and bloodshot resignation comes over the cat's freaked eyes like a film when the black crud finally burps up and spills over the back of your wrist, so surprisingly cold that you let her go in a flinch, and she races away, her furry wet shoulders turn even colder as you part, now knowing not only the truth, but also the lies you were capable of.
One or two more to indulge. I'm probably going over time because it's not fair to the other poets either. But this is the one Dante wanted me to read. It's called Bring Out Your Dog. <laughs> On Bring Your Dog to Work Day, everybody boldly petted my Doberman without fear of her snarl. And one colleague even dared to hand feed her his hamburger, while another daredevil cut my dog's groin and wisecracked like an ass about sexual harassment. Everybody laughed, which only opened a floodgate of abuse, embarrassment, and oppression. Fetch me my man, girl, and grab me a donut while you're at it. File this and type that, bitch, and go fight the boss between the legs. One jerk forced a faux leg hump and looked like he was into it, too. I felt bad for Dobie and ashamed of the ugly boys club that all my asinine laddies on the job were, were revealing themselves to be. But then again, I was the only one who brought a dead dog that day, dragging the taxidermist to work in by the collar. <laughs> Didn't say what kind of dog to bring to the table. It's a lot of taxidermies. I'll end with this. The stuffed black cat. Home after school, my daughter greets me in what has become a ritual. With a dismissive nod, she passes me by and runs upstairs to retrieve her favorite stuffed animal from her bedroom. A stupidly wide-faced and impossible black cat with woolen whiskers and felt triangle ears. It was the Hello Kitty doll. I got her for Christmas last year. A cheap gimmick to help her cope a few months following her mother's funeral. But she had left it in the closet, untouched, like some unworn shoe she had simply outgrown way too fast, or something she dropped behind her in, in a mad dash, away from the memories of her mother. I chalked it up to her newfound maturity, until Halloween, that is, when something possessed her to dye it black, an ugly stain, modeled in patterns like black mold. And it disturbs me every time she clutches it, not only because it's as ashen as an infantile corpse, but also because its awkwardly placed bow remains blood red, canted on its temple like some godforsaken brain damage bandage on some terrible Japanese mutant zombie. I'm happy she has started playing with dolls again, even if it means ignoring me in the process. Her cuddles and coos are the only thing resembling love I've seen her express in too long a time. She sometimes pets it like it's alive. I think I even saw her licking it clean once. I said nothing. Even at night, when I peek inside her room and watch her bury it between her mattress and box spring, talking herself quietly to sleep, whispering in the darkness, goodbye, kitty, goodbye. Her words haunt me as I wrestle with my pillow, trying to sleep, goodbye, kitty, <laughs> goodbye. They were the same words I said when I suffocated Catherine, her mother. <laughs> that was all, folks. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me the time. Um, I would like you all to give a round of applause to all of our great poets tonight. Dr. David Von Stuckley, Ms. Sarah Tanlinger, Daniel K. Spears, and Laura Patterson. Thank you all for coming. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, we'll stick around if you have any questions you want to talk to us. So. Thank you. <laughs>